for basketball, it's really endless because you're talking about dribbles, you're talking about pass, you're talking about dunks, blocks, fouls, speed, the number of passes before shot, where you're in the field, the number of data points are so big and the combination between them are so, is so big, it's exponential. Welcome to Innovation Uncovered, a podcast from Invesco QQQ and T-Brand at the New York Times about the ideas and discoveries that are driving our culture forward, from how we play, to what we consume, to how we connect. This episode, we're exploring how data and analytics have quietly changed the game of basketball. I'm Corey S. Powell. I'm the former editor-in-chief of Discover Magazine, and as a science writer, I've covered everything from dark matter to the origin of life. And I'm joined by my fabulous co-host. I am Kristen Meinzer. I'm a culture critic and journalist. In this series, I'm out in the field, well, the virtual field at least, thanks to social distancing, reporting on the people and ideas that are reshaping so many aspects of our daily life. We bring a little science and a little culture to conversations about innovations impacting our world today. Kristen, when was the last time you went to a basketball game? Sadly, it's been a while, Corey. I usually try to see a game a couple times a year, and while I'm not what you would call a diehard fan, I do miss all of the energy of the crowd. I miss the cheering. I'm always so blown away by the athleticism. Oh, I miss those things, too. I also really miss just seeing the things that I can only dream of doing, like, I don't know, dunking a basketball. Oh, come on, Corey. You can totally dunk a basketball. Oh, sure I could dunk a basketball if you give me a ladder. I'm fine with that. In fact, that's one of the reasons I love watching other people do it. But, you know, the game seems a little bit different to me recently. And I don't mean because of the pandemic. I mean, way before that, dunking doesn't seem to happen as often as it used to. Yeah, there have been some big changes in basketball because of data. Yeah, data ruins everything. Wait, what am I saying? I love data. (laughs) My whole life is data. You know, on the whole, I'm a fairly casual basketball fan, but to me, looking at the sport from a data perspective actually makes it extra fascinating to follow. Yeah, and I know you're obviously kidding about data ruining everything, but you know, some people do feel like big data is taking something away from the game. Well, yeah, basketball is obviously not the first sport to incorporate data. Baseball famously has been using statistics and data for years, and that's paved the way for all kinds of other sports. Still, I do understand the fear that relying on numbers or statistics to help us make choices is unnatural somehow. But as I see it, it's really just an efficient way to improve something. I mean, data is a great resource, but it's not very helpful without people to interpret it. Basketball organizations are developing entire departments for data analysis, and the game is changing as these departments become more sophisticated. For decades, basketball teams and fans relied on box score and play-by-play data to get an overview of what happened during a game. You know, the kind of basic info you used to flip through in the sports section of your newspaper. So the box score is just the shots, rebounds, assists, and it's really just outcome basis. It doesn't give you any context on uh, how these events happen in a game. And then play-by-play is one step further. It includes the time when each of these events happen, 
So we have a little bit of context in terms of which players were on the court when each shot happened, when each rebound happened. But it still doesn't give us the complete picture. It doesn't tell us where these players were on the court. That's Ivana Sharich. She's a data scientist for a professional basketball team. And you'll hear more from her in a bit. So along with these two resources, the box score and the play-by-play, coaches would have to pour over hours of taped footage, trying to glean whatever insight they could. But those numbers and tape only provided so much information. Coaches would make informed decisions based on their experience, but they'd also rely a lot on feeling or intuition, especially when they didn't have the facts to back it up. Maybe a bench player seemed like he was about to go on a hot streak, well, let's give him more minutes. Maybe it felt like a night when the team should run the fast break hard in the first half. Or if I was the coach, I might start the player that brought me a breakfast sandwich that morning. These are all decisions based on emotions. In 2005, that all began to change. There were two entrepreneurs in Israel named Mickey Tamir and Gal Oz. My name is Gal Oz. I'm an entrepreneur in the sport tech industry. Gal finished his bachelor's degree and then spent 10 years in the Israeli army. In the intelligence unit, I was doing many things regarding the pictures and satellites and all kinds of things that, that require understanding of images and video. And after 10 years, I decided to go to the private market after I finished my master's degree in biomedical engineering. And I was hoping to find a cure to the cancer, but I found myself in sport tech company. It's a pretty big shift to go from wanting to cure cancer to starting a sports tech company. But Gaul's army experience using video as an analytical tool turned out to be a game changer, literally. When I met with Mickey, and he has this uh, idea of a sport view, I was uh, fell in love with it and joined him. And uh, together we, we built the company and, and it's, best combination of fun, technology, sport, television. It's all combined and it's very appealing and, and, and very exciting environment. Mickey and Gol co-founded SportView in Israel, and at first they focused on soccer. They put three cameras around a soccer field and started collecting data, teaching their technology how to track players and balls on the field. After about three years, the company was acquired and Gall and the team got to work developing the technology to work in a basketball arena instead. We saw a huge difference between the usage of the stats in basketball and in soccer. In the basketball, it was much stronger than the soccer because you have much more data points that are interesting. In soccer, at the end, you have distance, you have acceleration, you have passes. For basketball, it's really endless. Because you're talking about dribbles, you're talking about pass, you're talking about dunks, blocks, fouls, speed, the number of passes before shot, where you are in the field. The number of data points are so big and the combination between them are so, is so big, it's exponential. So you reach to a point that you don't know what to ask. You go to the field of big data that you, all you want to do is, what should I do in order to win this game? The computer gives you the inputs and idea that, that you never thought about asking. To capture this more complex set of data, SportView would deploy six cameras instead of three in the rafters of the basketball arena, three on each end of the court. 
The cameras were trained to track the players and the ball throughout the game, and then they would send that data back to the team's analysts, people like Ivana Sherich. The cameras in the rafters are collecting the video during the games, and from the video they're extracting players' locations on the court. So we have XY coordinates of each player in 25 frames per second. And for the ball, we have XY and the height also in 25 frames per second. And on top of this raw data, we also have additional markings, which is all the passes, all the dribbles, all the pick and rolls, and other actions. 25 frames per second. That is a staggering amount of data on every player on the court. And it gave coaches insights they'd never had before. Gull told me that a big perk of SportView Tech was that it was passive. The teams didn't have to change the way they trained or traveled because the cameras were just automatically in the rafters of the arenas. And players also didn't need to wear any sort of tracking devices that could hamper their performance. That doesn't mean everyone was on board. Gull told me there was some trepidation at first. I think this is a process a lot of people go through when new technology is introduced. I think uh, it took time until the coaches and the analytic team understood that this is helping them and not replacing them and not give them any risk of their job. But uh, on the other side, they have more data now. They, they, they need more people. They contributed more to the game. So I think at the end it helped them, but uh, definitely it took time. You know, Kristen, I find it remarkable how quickly people are getting past those doubts. It got me wondering where else data analytics is being used in basketball, and with a little poking around, I realized that we're now seeing it at the college level, too. It's not so evenly spread out there, in part because college budgets vary so widely. But over the past few years, more and more college coaches have turned to data to boost their teams. I guess that makes sense. I mean, if it works for the pros, why not college teams? Exactly, and the rules of the game are changing along with the tech. For the first time ever this past season, that's the 2019-2020 college basketball season, 10 of the 32 conferences were given permission to experiment with electronic devices during games. Meaning, for the first time ever, during a game, coaches could receive real-time analytics reports about their team's performance. Sounds more NASDAQ than NCAA. Doesn't it, though? (laughs) It used to be the college teams were allowed to use this kind of tech only during practice, and now... These select teams can get live reports on a cell phone or a tablet as the game unfolds, and they can make adjustments in real time. It's a pretty radical change when you think about it. Now, of course, I mean, COVID cut the college season short this year, so we haven't had a chance to really gauge the impact. But when the stadiums reopen, I'm sure we're going to notice a difference. I'm curious to see how that changes on the college side. But again, I think it's so cool to think of how coaching a game kind of extends to these people crunching numbers behind the scenes now, too. It's not just the person courtside pacing and getting red in the face. Data analysts are applying a level of scrutiny to any given game that a coach or even a team of coaches just can't do on their own. As a data analyst, Ivana digs into reports about each game to break down even the smallest moments. We can look at all the different actions and see how players perform in different actions. So we can tell how good are their passing, how good are their shooting out of different situations on a court. And from that data, she can apply her own proprietary blend of analytics to determine what went wrong and what went right. 
I think because we have all this data, it's a lot easier to see players' weaknesses and players' strength because we can analyze the data. We don't have to watch as many clips as it's been done in the past. We'll still do that, but we also have the data to actually put like a measurable value on it. Sportview co-founder Gal Oz thinks of his innovation in terms of questions. Coaches are asking themselves questions constantly during and after a game. I think the big difference is that before Sportview, the number of questions you can ask yourself was quite limited. So, for example, what is the percentage of this player and this player and this player? Now, this access to more detailed data has made it so that coaches can ask much more specific questions. So it can be how many dribbles you did before you made a shot, how many seconds you hold the ball, who is the person that guards you. When you take a rebound, how many people around you and what are the distance of the people from around you. So at the end, for example, taking five rebounds is nice for a game, but the question is how hard was this rebound? And perhaps more importantly, Gall told me that thanks to big data, coaches can also ask much simpler questions to greater effect. Because you have a lot of data from many, many games, the idea is that the brain of the system, the AI of the system, can give you the question and the answers that you didn't really know what to ask. Ivana told me that overall, this is a good thing for the game. It's breeding a generation of better, more efficient players. Using this, we can help players improve much faster because they can really just put their time into things that they actually need to be improved. And we can also track their progress and see how are they improving in these things over time. And those better players are also able to make more informed decisions. One example, three-point shots. Thanks to all this data, it became clear that even though a shot taken closer to the basket is more likely to go in, a three-pointer is worth the risk. Well, the emergence of the increased three-point volume really boils down to as simple as three is greater than two. So, for example, if somebody shoots 35% from the three-point line, that's still better than shooting 45% from inside the three-point line. Teams have heeded this math. In 2012, the average basketball team took about 18 three-point shots per game. By 2019, that number was 33. And analytics is also changing who is making those shots. The power forward or small forward would have made a majority of the shots in the 1980s. Now, it's the shooting guard and point guard that end up with nearly 50% of the team's possessions in a game. It's no wonder that relying on all this data in basketball has gained a number of vocal critics. It seems like even some former pro ball players are criticizing the data-driven approach. Some say that focusing on stats isn't the right way to go because it's messing with the game or making it predictable or programming players. Others say that all the focus on data and crunching numbers just doesn't really work to make a better team. Yeah, I mean, there are also player attributes that have a huge impact on a team or a game that maybe aren't as quantifiable. Like maybe a player is super hardworking, which inspires their teammates, or their locker room antics boost morale on the team in a significant way. They have hustle or heart, but how do you measure something like that? I get that. On the other hand, those of us who love stats do see one benefit to all this quantifiable data. Fans will tell you that there are a lot of teams that deserve more credit than they get, and the statistics bear that out. 
I read that by one calculation in pro basketball, underdogs win almost a third of the time, 32.1% of the time to be data precise. Let's use the numbers to recognize the underdogs. I love an underdog. I I am cheering for all of you underdogs. I'm also really intrigued by what's happening off the court, though, Corey, especially as data makes its way into things like scouting. That really could change the whole face of the sport. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about next. Invesco QQQ is an ETF built around a belief that everyone should be able to invest in the possibilities of innovation. By providing access to the NASDAQ 100, Invesco QQQ allows you to be part of the progress created for all of our futures. To learn more, talk to your advisor or visit Invesco.com QQQ. Now, I want to take this conversation to where pro basketball players get their start. You know, that kid who's just learning the sport. Maybe they don't have a trusted coach nearby, or they can't afford to join a league. Maybe their school doesn't offer basketball as a sport. Or maybe they live in Taiwan and don't have the access that a lot of kids in the U.S. do. Can technology help? That's exactly where Alex Wu started. My name is Alex Wu. I am on the founding team here at Home Court. In 2018, Alex and his team released an app called Home Court. It's basically a shrunken down version of what the professional ball players have access to. But instead of six high-def cameras and teams of data analysts, Home Court's power is all housed within a smartphone. The idea behind Home Court is that high-level basketball coaching and training should be available to anyone who has a smartphone, regardless of where they are. They're essentially trying to democratize the sport. You know, when we practice basketball until recently, you get zero feedback. Like, I guess you can see if the ball missed or not. It feels very binary. But, you know, you didn't know over time if you were getting better. You would put up, you know, a lot of our users say, I used to put up thousands of shots and maybe I was getting better or maybe I wasn't. I think what we're able to do, and I think this is really key into actually helping someone learn something, is you got to be able to provide feedback in a very, very, obviously informative way, but also very quickly, especially in something like basketball. Anyone who loves basketball can open up the app when they're out shooting hoops. It activates the phone's camera, and it harnesses artificial intelligence and computing power within the smartphone to track the player's shots or offer corrections to form and technique. So we give information and insights such as your release time. So how long does it take you to actually get a shot up? Your release angle. So one of the things we look at is like, are you shooting at an optimum release angle consistently? And the release time is also important because, you know, if you're in a game, you don't have a ton of time to shoot. So actually practicing with all those things in mind and being able to hear somebody tell you, hey, I need you to get that shot a little bit faster. Your arc needs to be a little bit higher. All those things are really important. But Alex and his team realized that the app was providing much more than just database training tips. There's one user, a 12-year-old, who's been using Home Court for a while now, and she's tracked thousands and thousands of shots, and the company could see she's racked up a lot of data. One of the things that her coaches and dad would tell us is that it's really improved 
you know, noticeably her confidence on the court. So she used to be more of a hesitant shooter. And that's such a big part of the game that I don't think people think about enough, right? A lot of it's mental. Do you feel ready to take the shot? And you know what, you know what makes you feel more ready? When you feel like you've made the right preparation. The big picture potential of this technology could actually change the makeup of professional teams. In May 2019, the home court team attended an event in Chicago where the pro teams go to scout new players. And then we were sitting there thinking to ourselves, wow, this is really awesome. It's only accessible once a year to like the 0.1% of basketball players out there. What if we could bring this type of experience into people's homes, their driveways? And so that's exactly what they did. In early 2020, Alex and his co-founders launched another app called Global Scout. This app builds on what they've done with home court to help democratize who gets to play in the pros. So for example, you can measure your hand span just using the front-facing camera on your phone using the home court app. We can measure your vertical. So you set up your phone and you jump, and we can measure your vertical, your wingspan, your standing reach. It's not so easy that if you measure up in Global Scout, you're automatically drafted into the big leagues, but it is a big step toward making the scouting process more democratic. The idea is to open up other opportunities that may have not been accessible to that player because nobody really knew that they existed. And in some ways, it's the data itself that allows teams and scouts to understand and work beyond their own biases. What I hope it does, and I think, you know, you look at somebody like one of our advisors, Jeremy Lin, and, you know, he was certainly famously underlooked in his basketball journey. You know, a lot of it can be due to, you know, just not a lot of people seeing people that look like Jeremy playing at that level. And so there is a bias there, you know, not intentional, but it, it, you know, it just happens to be there. I think what we try to do is like, hey, what is the truth, right? You know, now you can start to see things like data capturing stuff like work ethic. If you see somebody in the app, it's like, hey, this kid's working. He's waking up 6 a.m. three times a week, putting up shots by himself. Like that says something, right? These apps are both still pretty new. Take that 12-year-old who started playing with more confidence after tracking her progress. She still has years to develop before she can even start thinking about playing in college or for the pros. But when everyone was stuck at home without their teams or their coaches, home court was ready to bridge that gap for amateurs and professional players alike. Before the coronavirus pandemic, home court users would log about half a million dribbles a day. But since then, they told me that they've had days where users logged 10 or even 15 million dribbles. And they've seen interest from other athletes. That includes people who play soccer, roller derby, and more. It's been about 15 years since SportView was first developed, and data and analytics in basketball are only just getting started. But lest you worry that all this technology is taking the human element out of the game, our experts don't see it that way. Alex Wu believes analytics and intuition actually go hand in hand with each other. Data in and of itself is not that useful. It's the insights that come with it. It's how you're looking at it over time. Data can help validate intuition. And at the end of the day, according to Ivana, there's one thing that facts and feelings have in common. What is your favorite part of the job? Uh, <laughs> uh, winning. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even joking. <laughs> you 
You know, Kristen, it's remarkable to think about how data and numbers are changing the physical nature of the game. But whether people like the changes or hate them, it doesn't seem like fans are losing any interest in the sport. And since fans can also get their hands on more stats, it's only feeding the enthusiasm. Oh yeah, maybe it will even give data nerds more reasons to enjoy the game. I know the next time I get to watch, I'll be paying a lot more attention, trying to guess what strategies might be the result of analytics and which ones are more inspired by gut feelings. Wow, I cannot wait to get in the stands and cheer with our neighbors again. That means me and you, Corey, cheering for our home team. Neighbor, yeah, let's go. Innovation Uncovered is a podcast from Invesco QQQ in partnership with T-Brand at the New York Times. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Innovation Uncovered wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about the show. This brings us to the end of the season, but thanks so much for coming on this journey with us, exploring the innovations that are driving the world around us. Innovation Uncovered is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. From tech innovators to lesser-known biotech and media companies, Invesco QQQ is more than just a tech fund. It's an ETF that allows you to access the NASDAQ 100, some of today's most innovative companies that are changing the world. To learn more about what this ETF can mean for your portfolio, visit Invesco.com QQQ. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies traded on the NASDAQ. You cannot invest directly in an index. Risks are involved with investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs are subject to risks similar to those of stocks. Investments focused in the technology sector are subject to greater risk and are more greatly impacted by market volatility than more diversified investments. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors Incorporated.